right. Welcome to Have Rods Will Travel. I'm Josh Dolan. With me is my good friend David Graham. And welcome to episode one of uh, the Have Rods Will Travel podcast. Welcome, welcome. I think uh, at this point, David and I are ready to scoop our brains out with a spoon by how challenging getting the podcast set up is becoming, but I think we're slowly figuring it out. It's uh, just a challenge trying to record remotely. I'm in Virginia. He's in Florida trying to get the best audio and the best video we can to put out there. Seems to be uh, seems to be quite the challenge, but yeah. I think we're uh, we're managing. But anyway, David, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just kind of jump into this thing. Um, today's episode, we're going to be talking about Bowfin. It's kind of just our general topic of the day. And uh, after that, we'll kind of jump into some other stuff. I'm sure we're going to kind of play this first episode loose. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. But uh, David, you did a little fishing yesterday. So why don't we talk about that? Yeah, yeah, well. Starting with bowfin's easy. I pretty much started with that fish as an angler, so that's a fun one. No, I mean, yesterday uh, it was actually the first time I've been out this year. I haven't been fishing since December tenth, so you know, a lot of times when I go, well, for me that's a long time to wait, yeah. over a month before getting out. Sure, but um, a lot of times, you know, if it's been a while, bowfin have always kind of been that that easy one to, you know, that low hanging fruit fish that if i want to go out and just get a fix Mm -hmm. i can i can usually pretty easily do that um but at the same time being that we're working on the website that we're doing you know i I also was looking for opportunities to find material to write on right and like like the bowfin thing's been fun for me because i've written about them with bait i've written about how to find them i've written about how to find bigger ones and now i wanted to write about how to catch them on lures and which lures to use and those kind of approaches so uh, but I don't have a lot of photos of the fish where it's clear how I caught them. Like yeah. in some of my older photos, I don't even remember. Um, so I said, well, I'll go out and do a little bit of lure fishing for them. I don't, I don't do that a lot these days. I mean, at, at this point, you know, I've been fishing for them for over 20 years Yeah, and I've caught them on fly rods. I've caught them on lures. That's how I started catching them. But now it's, now it's like, I'm kind of at that phase where it's like the, if I go after them, I only want to catch a really, really big one. Yeah. Like, I don't need to catch a lot of them. I get kind of pestered and annoyed by catching big numbers of them. I only want the big ones. And, you know, sometimes the, putting a big chunk of meat on the bottom is just the easiest way to do it. Yeah. That, and it's like, as you know, it's one of those games for Bowfin. I don't even like doing it unless I'm sight fishing. But, you know, pickers can't be choosers or beggars can't be choosers. Right. I can't pick when I'm going to go fishing or right. what the conditions are going to be like because I've got to job i gotta i gotta work with what i got so right man i'd been in the 80s all week nice pleasant conditions and then um thursday night it rained and then friday when i got up to go fishing like it's a brisk 40 degrees and for southwest florida like that's a big like it's a big swing yeah so i'm like wonderful so I'm, i'm gonna be dealing with over overcast there's a front come through it's windy as all hell. So I was like, you know, cause I had wanted to go out and do like into some areas where I might be able to see fish yeah. from the canoe. I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not going out in the canoe and 20 mile an hour wind. Yeah. That um, sucks. So. But I had, I kind of scoped out. There's this bank, this South bank that I, that I really like fishing on the Caloosahatchee river here in Southwest Florida, where mm-hmm. like there's, there's chances to 
to pick it apart from the canoe, but the wind was blowing out of the north. I was just going to be eating wind, getting blown against the bank. I'm like, man, I'm 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 going to have to tuck into the creeks, right? You know, and 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 change course here. But uh, but yeah, I I um I don't know. I got lucky and I caught one fish. So, but it was one big fish. It was the one that I needed, right? But <laughs> well, I guess what we'll do we'll we'll talk about that individual catch and then we'll talk about kind of bowfin in general. Yeah. And, Maybe since this is our second edition of trying to record this thing, we've recorded once already. We need to actually introduce ourselves, I imagine, and explain in case this is the first podcast or first edition of anybody ever finding our stuff. So we'll kind of bookend it with that, I think. But uh, as far as that catch, I mean, I saw a picture of it, dude. It is ridiculous. 13 and a half pounds. That's ridiculous. I mean, we don't. We have giants up here, but like something about the Florida fish, they're just jet black. Like ours are green and olive and they got some color to them. Y'all's fish are in that tannic water and they're just jet black and they look like little like demons. Like they're so, yeah, they're just crazy, man. And like ours get kind of thinned out most of the year, I'd say. Like right now you catch a bowfin, it's probably pretty thick, but. Down there, it seems every single one that y'all catch has shoulders, and it's just this giant, <laughs> angry-looking thing that just kind of lurks on the bottom of these rivers. So, but um, before we jump into that, give us a little like of your background with bowfin, just kind of a Cliff Notes version of it. When you got started, what your PB was before yesterday, just kind of your your history with the species, and let's kind of. Oh jump yeah, into well. With regards to that fish, and, and a, a lot of people that know me know, like, my connection with that species. Like, I'm not exaggerating when I say, like, my formation as an angler centers, like, very specifically mm -hmm. around that species of fish. So, prior to that, I mean, I was fishing a lot and going out uh, probably around the age 10 is when I was, like, you know, going out with my brothers. And, and my origins as an angler is like everybody else's mm -hmm. started pond hopping with my brothers riding my bike we lived on a golf course right so we would just hop our fence and we'd either walk or ride our bike down to the to the to the tenth hole there was this pond down there loaded with bass right and i liked it i mean i was fun kind of but for me it was just like i was that kid that was obsessed with reptiles and amphibians mm -hmm. and creatures and i was like always wanting you know steve Irwin was like yeah my, my my idol so i like i you know i was trying to mimic and mock what he was doing right and so when my brothers went fishing, you know, I could hop on the pegs of their bike and hold their shoulders and, and follow them and they would fish. And I would just walk around the margins of the of the pond trying to catch stuff. Right. And then, you know, as time progressed, I would do a little bit more fishing and I had some fun with that. And we moved a lot when I was young. We moved like every three, four years. So it's mm -hmm. so like sort of isolated me from making lifelong friends. I became like something of a loner. Right. So when we moved to Arkansas, when I was like, I don't know. I was like 12, 13, maybe right when I turned 13. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to just, it was like a continuation of that. But my bro, my, my oldest brother, Travis had gone off to the university of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really see him anymore. I couldn't follow him anymore. And then my older brother, Matt, he was in high school. Like, you know, he was in high school. He didn't want to be right. hanging out with little old right. me. Right. So I'm like, damn. And so, you know, I would just like find spots to, go fishing and ask my like mom or my dad or whoever to drop me off there for a couple hours. And mm -hmm. I found this little spillway, this little like swampy spillway in Southwest Arkansas on this lake called Lake Columbia. Mm -hmm. And I was walking the banks of it fishing. You know, I didn't know what I, I 
gotten into fishing enough, but I wanted to explore and I saw a dead one. I saw a dead bowfin. Right. In fact, I saw quite a few dead bowfin because, you know, especially quite particularly in the South, it's, you know, as you know, it's scorned fish. It's, it's, right. it's bycatch. It's a trash fish. It's an undesirable fish. Mm-hmm. And this spillway was loaded with them. But when I saw it, I knew what it was. I knew enough about different types of fish and different types of like animals mm-hmm. that I was able to identify it because my brother, Matt, had a, like a South Carolina, like a freshwater fishes of South Carolina poster on his wall. Mm-hmm. And I always remembered how cool I thought the bowfin looked in yeah. the picture. I'd ne- never seen one, but I knew what they looked like. And so when I saw the dead one, I'm like, oh, my God, that's one of those bowfin things. Yeah. But that same day, all I had was one little Ziploc bag. It's so funny. My memory's so foggy on other fishing trips. I can't remember crap. But for whatever reason, I like vividly remember everything about that day. Yeah. And I had just a Ziploc baggie full of these neon red Zoom trick worms. Mm-hmm. It's all I brought. One bag. I, I banked all my success on this one worm and this right. one rod. Right. I was trying to catch bass. I was bass fishing. And I remember after I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Once I knew there was bowfin in there, I was like keyed in on it because, you yeah. know, they kind of had that reptilian look. It's a fish. It was like it was the best of both worlds that I was enjoying. Mm-hmm. And uh, that same day, I think I hooked a few of them, but I kept losing them. They kept yeah. getting off. They were bending the hooks. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just they were just whooping my tail. I just wasn't prepared. I wasn't skilled enough. Right. And um but what, when I had that encounter, I knew, like, this is the fish I'm going to return for. And right. So I started fishing there heavily, and I got real heavily involved in, like, bowfin. I was, like, I was so eaten up by them, like, from that day forward. Right. It was, like, an, an, an addiction. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that was, like, during the heyday of the online forums and the message boards, yep. you know, which is a much purer and simpler and honest time, I think, yeah. with yeah. with online social interactions around fishing because people were sharing stories and sharing information and, and trying to help each other. Yeah. There, you couldn't find anything on Bowfin. Mm-hmm. And if you went to like a fishing forum about bass or something, asking about them, half the time people are like, what the hell is a Bowfin? Or you get ran out of town. It's, yeah. it's one or the other. And they all called them Grinnell in Arkansas. And that was like, that's Grinnell territory out there. That's, mm-hmm. that's They're called Grinnell there. But um, yeah, it was either you get dragged through the mud or people don't know or I don't know. You just couldn't find any inf- information. Then I came across the Bowfin Anglers Group, yep, which is now de- now defunct. Right. Um, and man, I just like cannonballed into that scene. I was like, they probably got annoyed by me. Like I was every day posting yeah. all over the forums, bombarding them with photos. Yeah, Like I was like. I was so excited to like get my photo onto the website. Like I thought I'd like made it to the big time. I thought yeah, that was yeah. a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know, man. Then we ended up moving. So I was like all about both in there. Then we moved to South Carolina and uh, we, we moved on to the, this lake called Lake Moultrie. Like we're living with my grandparents and my, my grandparents had a lake house right. on Lake Moultrie, the Santee system. And I started finding them again there, except this is like a different caliber of fish, like yeah. the, the bowfin that live there. I mean, South Carolina is the state. And a lot of people can contend that their area is the area. But like South Carolina, I feel like is like the layer of giants. Well, that's where well, I mean, the, the world record is. Right. Yeah, I was about to ask that. Um, and the Santee system just produces giant fish in general. Like the Santee Cooper Lake system's got, I mean, giant catfish, mm-hmm. giant carp, giant bass, giant. All the fish that live in there, there's like this perfect balance there that all wildlife that has anything to do with the santee mm-hmm. the alligators there are the biggest ones you'll see anywhere in the world yeah 
And um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess the rest is history there. I, I, I've, you know, since fish for him, South Carolina, you know, then we moved back to Arkansas, mm-hmm. you know, and then I, I, I'd fished for him in Oklahoma. I fished for him in Texas. I fished for him in Louisiana. So it's Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, South Carolina, Florida, a half a dozen states, Virginia, more than a half. That's Virginia, seven states. Um, And uh, I don't know. It's it's funny to see the differences, the little small differences here and there in the different states. But to your point, like the color, the color variations is is interesting. But well, yeah, they they just announced what this year or 2022. So it would have been just last year. But there's apparently two species of bowfin or like a subspecies Mm -hmm. i i didn't really dive in nerd dive into it nerd out like other people have but yeah it's just that just kind of proves what we all sort of thought i mean the bowfin up north versus the bowfin down south looks so different it's hard to even imagine it being the same thing so right well i had encountered them in in oklahoma and in arkansas is where i would see now they're calling them it's like they're both the you know amiform Mm -hmm. fish so there's like amia calva which is I think the more southeastern mm-hmm. side, and now it's Amia acelicata. I think they call it. Mm. Um, I, I always wonder if I'm pronouncing it right. Matt, but Matt. I I had long since said that. Like when I moved from Arkansas to South Carolina, I'm like, they, they, this is different. Yeah, like they are different. Like I have caught thousands of these fish yeah. in like the southeast. You will not see that neon chartreuse, like bright flared up green mm-hmm. on the males ever. You get a, a faint green of like you know the 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 caudal fins or the pectoral fins mm-hmm. but uh not that neon blown out color and then yeah so i don't know i was almost like this is there's something different like you just don't see that here yeah that and just the overall size difference and everything i mean it's like comparing a florida guard to a long nose or an alligator guard it's like this isn't the same thing like we're mm-hmm. talking about a different species here so that's super cool what is the world record forms 21 something isn't it it's it's over 21 pounds so like just i, I mean i've familiarized myself just geographically mm-hmm. so south carolina's got a 21 pounder louisiana is 20 pounds five ounces mm-hmm. and then like i think uh missouri uh mississippi florida and missouri each have one over 19 alabama's is 18 six uh texas arkansas and north carolina's are all just below 18 pounds and th- so this is like it's I don't care what anybody says. The southeastern mm-hmm. United States is where the big ones live. It yeah. ain't the north. Yeah. Yeah. Like once you get up above certain states, it's, you know, 16, I, 15. Yeah, yeah. I would say probably North Carolina, South Carolina is where that line sort of lies because yeah. ours is like 16 pounds and some change. And there's not a lot that are getting caught anywhere close to that up here. I mean, that is a, that is mm-hmm. our 20 pounder that you're not seeing those, that same caliber of fish, but I don't know. It's just, it's crazy right. to see like what they can become if they have the right, you know, conditions. But. Yeah. Well, every time I see, when I see those numbers, like my biggest is the one that I just caught mm-hmm. just over 13 pounds. And like, when I hauled that thing out of the water, I'm like, oh, mother of God, yeah. look at this monster. And to think that it's still like almost, you know, a full the other record. Fish. Yeah. That, that, I just I have a hard time picturing an animal like that. Yeah. Um, which is funny, but I don't know. When and wh- where was what was your previous PB and where did you get it from? 
The previous one was from Lake Moultrie. Okay. And it was like it was right between 32 and 33 inches. That one could have been, I think, a teener. So mm-hmm. my thing is like the big thing with me is I started catching them when I was 13. Mm-hmm. I'm 36 now. Yeah. So in that period of time, like I would consider myself a bowfin angler mm-hmm. the entire time. Right. Not a guy that caught one when he was 13. Like I have dedicated untold hours yeah. of time specifically trying to catch them right. but for all those years i could not get over that 13 pound mark i yeah. just couldn't do it i've i've seen the fish i've hooked the fish mm-hmm. i've like encountered that next level up fish so yeah uh, but but it was uh i have caught a lot of them that were between 12 and 13 pounds like over 12 pound fish i probably caught 15 of them yeah I just couldn't do it. So uh, that one, I was like a post-spawn female, I think. She was real thinned out. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you get it on? Hat. I I caught that one on uh, Zoom. Uh, it was like a fluke. Hmm. So that one was on an artificial lure as well. Yeah, yeah I'm seeing a consistency here. Both of your bigger fish are on. Yeah, I did a lot more sight fishing on Lake Moultrie. So it's okay. a little bit different. On Lake Moultrie, I very seldom used bait, actually. I did a lot more lure fishing because it, it's like a... It's like, Lake Moultrie is a is a notorious sight fishing lake. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, even the even the tournament bass anglers, a lot of them will will fish the whole tournament sight fishing because you have these massive massive expansions of stumpy flats. Mm-hmm. You just w- read the wind pattern and fish the side of the lake that's not been wind blowing the whole time, um, and you can you can fish around two feet of water, lily pads, weeds. And it's nice. The good thing there is nice sandy, like firm, sandy bottom. Mm-hmm. So you can see the bowfin clear as day, like it when they're crossing over that. So I did a lot of sight fishing with lures when I was in Lake Moultrie. Since coming to Florida, I don't really, you know, I don't, the opportunities just aren't there as much to sight fishing because our water's so black. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just harder to, to find them like that. And I just don't, I don't know. I just don't, care to do that i i only wanted to get over that like 13 pound mark so i go out just with spreads bait fishing in the areas where i know the big females are going to be right i gotcha that's legit dude it i don't know it's we we almost exclusively have to fish with artificial up here just because of our blue cat problem i mean you and i've yeah. talked about it at nauseum but you can't put a bait on the bottom up here longer than five minutes without a blue cat hitting mm-hmm. it so it's kind of exclusively lure fishing up here for him but but well i i i it's it's a good thing to talk about like the Mm -hmm. bait versus artificial thing it's that argument that 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 classic ageless argument so Mm -hmm. i would argue that bait fishing is as challenging and this is going to sound crazy and this is going to ruffle some feathers bait fishing for bowfin is Mm -hmm. is as difficult as lure fishing is yeah just for different reasons so yeah. I relate it to like this. It's different in that you may be more likely to get the bite if your bait is in front of the fish. Mm-hmm. And even that's arguable because I I would argue that as a opportunistic as a bowfin is, it doesn't matter what the lure is. If you can find them and get a lure in front of their face, mm-hmm. you're probably going to get a bite. But uh, the difference that I find is you can't be very confident fishing for bowfin if you can't see them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Even yeah. the lure guys that specifically fish for bowfin will say it's like the the actually seasoned bowfin anglers say it's all a visual game. Yeah. Okay. Well, why aren't you why aren't you blind fishing for them? Well, because it's harder. Yeah. Well, so is bait fishing for them, and I relate it to 
when you're lure fishing, you are actively engaged in the process. Like mm -hmm. you're so focused, you're moving, and it's difficult more, I think, physically than it is mentally. So physically, you're engaged in a process, you're working, you're moving, you're staying like engaged in like what's next, what features am I looking for? So it's mentally taxing, but it's also kind of like <clears throat> if you're working hard at work, mm -hmm. uh, your day goes by faster. Right, right. If you're doing a boring job at work, it's long, it's boring. And I could look at it too like this. Let's say you go to a movie theater and you're watching a really dynamic movie and it's a mm -hmm. visual experience and there's a plot and then there's a like there's a there's characters and there's drama and there's things that you got to pay attention to so you can puzzle the movie together and understand it and you know before you know it you've just enjoyed this great thing okay now mm -hmm. go to a movie theater and stare at a blank screen for two and a half hours yeah and see where your mind goes yeah it's yeah. kind of the same thing when you're bait fishing you sit on a bank you're casting hope and you're alone with your thoughts yeah and so the like the ability to have be self-disciplined enough to focus on when the bite's going to come is hard. It yeah. comes when you're not ready. Yeah. You start to you start second guessing. Am I in the right spot? Maybe I'm maybe if I just go around that corner, you know, I'll catch them. Mm -hmm. And and if it and a lot of times I've had days like that where I was really fighting that internal struggle, wondering, am I am I in the right spot before that giant came? So it's a different kind of challenge. It's an interesting debate, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I would say all of that is true, and I would also say like the next, if the world record ever gets broken, or any even in any of these individual state records, your chance of hooking one and keeping it hooked is much better on like a cut bait or a live bait than it is casting gear like that like grant and i just had a conversation the other day separately we we're doing a separate podcast and we were talking about both and then and he mentioned that he thinks the next virginia state record will probably be caught by a, a cat fisherman somebody fishing for blue cats and it makes sense because mm -hmm. all your gears heavier your lines heavier you're using circle hooks they're not going to throw it you know when we're lure fishing for them we're using basically bass gear and nine times out of 10, these fish absolutely wreck whatever they hit. And then you're in, you know, a serious battle yeah. with a fish that doesn't want to be caught. So it, it, but on the flip side of that is at least for us, you're bait fishing, you're dealing with every other species that wants to eat that. Bait. Yeah. You're not, you're not doing that active hunting. It's, it's, well, that's yeah. And that's another layer of what's going to be more challenging between mm -hmm. lures and baits because I don't have that issue. We got the turtles, yeah. like I've shown you. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a problem. But up there, I'd venture to say it's easier to catch bowfin sight fishing with lures in Virginia than it is to go blind casting baits because y'all ain't getting past them catfish. Not nah, yeah, it just ain't happening. There's nothing. It's a completely separate problem that has nothing to do with bowfin. There's just too yeah. too many catfish up here. So yeah. Each discipline has its own high points and low points and pros and cons and all that stuff. But um, yeah, but I yeah, don't know. I would think I would think the next record would be maybe more likely still to come from a lure, only because think of how many lures are being cast right now as we speak. I mean, mm -hmm. it's there's there's just it's a game of opportunities, and there's bass anglers out there right now working a grassy mm -hmm. flat somewhere with yeah. a lure that a bowfin is very happy to grab. There's not a lot of people out there sitting on a chunk bite in a swamp. Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe a Cajun but, and they're going to eat that world record. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I know as far as like Virginia's concerned, 
the Rappahannock, the James, I think probably the York, like these places that have these big blues, there's also certain areas that have giant bowfin. So mm-hmm. it's hard to say where any one particular catch is going to come from, but you're definitely more likely to hook it when you're actively casting, but I don't think you're your chances of landing a 16 plus pound bowfin are yeah. terrible. I mean, well, th- I sent you a, a photo yesterday of that buzz bait for the bowfin article that's going on yeah, the website. Yeah. And that thing was all <laughs> mangled up and that's just from one fish. So yeah, that's par for the course too. That's not, that is every time Yeah, that if was, you get a 30 inch bowfin on a buzz bait, that buzz bait's gone. Yeah. And the worst part is that was like a seven pound fish. So, yeah. you know, double that and then some, and then you're going to end up with, <laughs> you know, it's trouble. I don't know if your experience is the same. And I was thinking about this the other day because I, the fish that I caught Friday was a phenomenal bowfin and mm-hmm. great for photos. It was like one of the most exciting things for me just on a personal level. Mm-hmm. But I was, I hate to say, it, I was a little underwhelmed by the fight. By bowfin standards. Yeah. By any other fish standards, it was still a, a marauder. Right. But I have kind of picked up on this pattern, especially like the last two years mm-hmm. I've been on. Like I have had a lot of success catching multiple 30 inch fish, but I've noticed I feel like that real sweet spot to get the most out of like a real war out of a bowfin is that mm-hmm. seven to 10 pound range. The big ones don't like the big ones. Just my experience, they're not coming out of the water they're not yeah. as dynamic i have a like take this on one this. i was a little disappointed by the fight and right. honestly so i hooked this fish it was actually hilarious mm-hmm. i hooked it and then i was reeling slack as fast as i could it mm-hmm. came right to the shore it swam up onto the shore yeah and it flopped around on the dirt and then swam back out bulldogged for a couple of seconds and that was it there was no jumping there was no death rolling there was very little thrashing it was a haphazard thing i yeah I have noticed that though. I've kind of picked up on the bigger, bigger fish. They're more likely to shoulder down, mm-hmm. use a little bit of weight, and then you know you overpower them, and it's over. There's I, I've had this take for a while now. There's a sweet spot. You have your small ones that are super energetic and like, but yeah. they're easy to reel in. And this is kind of goes for pretty much all fish species. I think there, there's a there's a sweet spot where at the they're at their peak performance. You have the small ones that you know, are super energetic and have the energy, but they don't have the weight behind them. And then you have the big ones mm-hmm. that have the weight behind them, but they got to carry that weight and they're not fighting as hard. You, you had that middle, like sweet spot is where you get those, those mid range fish that have some weight to throw around and they have the energy yeah. to do so like a, a hundred pound blue cat. That thing's just going to use its, you know, its weight to its advantage, to its advantage. It's not going to be peeling off, hundred yards of line, like maybe a 40 pounder would, you know, it's interesting stuff. I think, I think you're on to something there about that kind of mid range size being really the ones yeah. that put up the best fight. Yeah. Uh, with them, with the, with the bigger fish, it's usually just, you've got that initial run where you need to keep them away from the near, whatever the nearby mm-hmm. snag is. And then you're, you're, you're not getting as much the pure chaos. And, and there's some people that would be like maybe in shock and all, I am the biggest bowfin proponent on planet Earth, mm-hmm. but I will sit here and say they're not they don't play the power game that much. It's not an overwhelmingly like like strenuously powerful fish. It It is a fish that brings a level of chaos. Yeah. Violence to deal with. Right. And that's it. So when they're not bringing the dynamics of the death roll and the head shake and the direction changes, the jumping mm-hmm. and they're just trying to lean on their power, it's like, OK, well. 
this isn't anything that's that I haven't, you know, I don't know. I was, I was a little disappointed in the fight and the last couple, like 30, 31 inches with, with that had some mass to them. Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, you know, they tried to, they tried to play the power game with me and didn't really bring that pure hatred right the the little bit smaller ones always seem to bring right right sure all right well you've already kind of touched on it but i want let's paint the picture like you're walking in like because it's i I want us to do this because the series of text messages i got were pretty hilarious because yeah next to me you said i'm not gonna catch shit today because it's like cold. It was 80 degrees yesterday. It's 50 day. It's windy. It's miserable. I'm not going to catch anything today. And I didn't even have enough time to text you back. I was in Home Depot when you texted me. I was at work. I didn't have enough time to text you back for you're like, oh, my God, just caught the biggest bowfin of my life. So right. <laughs> you're walking in. What's your gear? What's, what, what's your mindset? What's your plan? Where did you cast? Like, I, Just paint the picture for the person watching or listening right now. Sure. So the spot that I was fishing is a very tiny little area. There's a little roadside, you know, it's a it's a tributary of the Caloosahatchee River, mm-hmm. which is, I feel like, one of the most unique bodies of water in the entire state of Florida. So mm-hmm. like the Caloosahatchee River south of the Franklin Locks mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, the next the, the next stop is the ocean. Right. So it's it's got an element of it's got saltwater influence to it. So mm-hmm. south of the locks, you can get Jack Creval, tarpon, sharks, stingray, sawfish, side by side with largemouth bass, longnose gar, bowfin, bluegill. It's a right. very interesting arena, competitive arena for a freshwater fish to have to contend with. Right. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, I have, it's also been my observation that like, and a lot of people probably disagree with this as well. Bowfin will be in tidal river systems that connect directly to the ocean, but I feel like mm-hmm. they don't like the salinity that much. So the thing is, I feel like the bowfin above the locks, and I've got some spots up there where they're monstrous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually where I wanted to go. It was my original plan. But when they get below the, the locks, and it's interesting when you look on Google Maps at this place, you can see immediately to the east of the locks, like upriver towards Toward, this goes this mm-hmm. goes up towards Lake Okeechobee. You see uh, you're seeing like uh, lily pads. You're seeing water hyacinth. You're seeing like strictly freshwater plants mm-hmm. right below the locks. Like there's a very distinct change in the scenery. Um, and I think that both in that are coming through the locks, they're getting down there and, and not necessarily li- liking it. Mm-hmm. There's a small handful of creeks just south of there that uh like little tributary feeder creeks that go in and they're still tide affected creeks which mm-hmm. is interesting but i have i like it's my theory this is all speculative right but i feel like the bowfin come along you know they're not traveling down the main channel of this massive river they're they're traveling down the shoreline mm-hmm. and finding their way into this creek and they're finding a little bit the fresher water but uh, i've got a spot on this one creek where this is just this is just right off the river right so even though this is a creek and you can probably tell from the photos that's a narrow it's a narrow creek but there's a couple of bends in it mm-hmm. that are very very deep water like 15 at high tide 20 feet deep holes right and the i have kind of noticed because it's one of my bait fishing spots right i use the bait to kind of find areas where i might be able to pick apart later with lures mm-hmm. the bowfin love these holes i knew hey this is a front that's come through it's cold the water's colder the fish are probably going to retreat and hold in these isolated deep holes. Mm-hmm. It's also been my observation over 
two decades of fishing, the big females, while they'll be near shallow water, they want that access to deep water. Yeah. All the biggest ones I've ever caught have been either in deep water or right, like right on the edge of it. Deep water adjacent. Yeah. Yep. So I got out there. This is like, this is like right off the road. There's like a little bridge. Um, it's like one of my bait spots and it's one little elbow, one ninety degree turn in this Creek. Other than that, the weeds become so thick and the, the woods, the wood line becomes so thick. You can't even walk. Mm-hmm. It was low enough because it was like a low tide that there was a, a muddy embankment mm-hmm. that I could kind of straddle it and like ease along. But I knew I wasn't going to be able to, I was, I really wanted to pick apart this one hole uh-huh. because I fished there enough winters and enough colder periods that I know that the fish are there. Right. It's just one of those spots. <clears throat> so I kind of just devoted my attention to fishing there. And then I was like, if I don't, if this doesn't work, I had the, you know, I had the canoe on top of the Jeep. Um, I was just going to launch it and then go to some of the other holes. Right. Um, so I was working a little like crawl pattern, like a little creature bait looks like a crawfish with like a little curly tail. Mm-hmm. Now I just, uh, wasn't doing anything fancy. I mean, I just told you, I'm like, you know, this is blind casting into deep, deep water. The fish might be there. They might yeah. not be there. I'm familiar enough with that spot to know there are fish in there. They're mm-hmm. going to be in there. I just, I know it. I just have to work it hard enough. So then I text you and I was just in a bad mood. Like I, I had really wanted to fish the South bank on the river above the locks that I like much more dynamic mm-hmm. area, a lot more features to work. Um, there's this area of flats. It was right at a Creek mouth. Anyway, yeah. um, I want to go back there soon, but, um, so I text you. I'm like, man, I'm not going to catch anything. It's Wendy's. I'll get out as a, a front yeah. came through. They're probably going to be seized up. Uh, it was probably my second cast after I text you that, that, that That's I hilarious. got the fish. So with them, you know, I was doing a little bit of twitching, but it was more just slow rolling. Like I was, I was literally casting and doing the most basic thing. I was casting this lure to the opposite bank. There's a bunch of fallen mm. trees. It was the outside of the turn was the opposite bank. I was on the inside turn. So it's like a sloping, I was on where the slope is opposite bank mm-hmm. is like a bore out deep hole with a, where a bunch of timber, because you know, with this floods, especially the recent hurricane, there's all kinds of like, there's a log jam over there. Yeah. So it was a lot of timber to have to like pick apart. So I could be there for two hours and not even hit the whole entire hole. Yeah. But I was just casting over there, letting the bait drop and then slow reeling. There's no twitching. There's not really a lot of action. A lot of times on a hotter day, if I see the fish, I want to like make movement because they'll mm-hmm. go key in on the vibrations and stuff. But I was like, I just want to give these fish a chance to see the lure go by. I'm going to reel real slow. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a very intense bite either. It was just that sort of boom. So I felt yep. that. And I, this is another area where more recent bowfin anglers will, will make this. There's a lot of myths about the fish one that you'll read is that they're voracious predators you yeah. see the word voracious like in, a, in most articles or most information it says they're a voracious predator yeah this is not true they're an opportunistic predator mm-hmm. they're not actively seeking food at most points of the day they're just going to take the easy meals mm-hmm. sometimes but it's also a very l- slow growing long-lived fish that can sustain itself on a very infrequent meals yeah they can eat one meal for and be good for 90 days that's part of the reason they've lived so long yeah so a voracious predator doesn't work that way fish need the voracious predators need to eat they're eating they're going they're pursuing this is the opposite so anyway 
the bite too. A lot of people will say when you set the hook on a bowfin, you have to set it with all your might mm-hmm. to smash. So there's some truth to that, I think. But I have found that like you need a fine tipped hook, not a thick gauge. Yeah, like thick thick wire is going to be. If you have thick wire, sure, you're going to have to set it really hard because it's, it's thicker to penetrate. Smaller hooks are going to bend at the tip. You just sacrifice a lot of hooks mm-hmm. in this game. But I have found it's more of a slow hard sweeping motion it's yeah. not boom it's more like you feel the tension you just go and you yeah. apply like a like a a prolonged hard pull mm-hmm. and that's always worked for me but when i hooked this thing there was a there was an a, 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 i mean i knew it was a fish but then it was like slack and i could see the line you know i'm using braided line i could mm-hmm. see that line floating and moving so i knew the fish was coming at me so then like i described earlier yeah. it was just reeling it kind of sucked i didn't get to a lot of fight out of it. It right. just swam directly at me. That's hilarious. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, I, I get the fish and got the photos and all that was awesome. The hook was shot. I mean, it was done. Yeah. But I'd venture to say if I would have blasted it as hard as I could, it probably would have been worse. The, the yeah. hook was was opened up. Yeah. Um, but that was the only fish I caught. Yeah. I even launched the canoe. I picked apart other areas. I had a couple of questionable Bumps that might have yeah. been fish, but it's also that's it. kind of funny that you caught that fish that day because my experience, like when you have a major swing in weather for the negative, a, a cooling like that, it's usually like which it could be the complete opposite. But my experience is you catch the smaller ones, you don't catch the bigger ones because mm-hmm. the smaller ones kind of have to eat. Like they're still in that process where they're trying not to get eaten. So they're, they're eating whatever they can when, it, you know, but the big ones can kind of pick and choose cause it's not so hard for them. So it's interesting. You caught a 13 and a half pound bowfin on a kind of off day more or less, but, but then like you mentioned with the hooks too, it takes like, you got to use good hooks for these things. Cause you, you got to have a sharp point cause you have to penetrate and it's got to penetrate bone, so you have to have a solid hook set. But then you also ha- – it's got to be strong enough to survive the fight. It doesn't yeah. matter if you get a hook in it if it comes – you know, bends out halfway through. So you're not going to get them with some cheap hooks. you got to have some – like your gear has to be stout. You have to have a stout rod. You have to have solid line, like 10-pound – 10, you know, 6 to 10-pound line isn't the game. Like you want some heavy braided line, and you want a stout hook. You know, if you're going to use cut bait – circle hooks fine but if you're gonna use you know i mean buzzbait like i love booyah buzzbaits for them they don't have the best hook in the world and you pretty much get one buzzbait per fish so you have to kind of pick and choose what tackle you want to use good enough tackles so you don't lose them but you don't want too expensive to where it feels bad when you can't throw it again because it's destroyed so right just a lot of good points there but um yeah man that that's that's a gnarly fish. If anybody wants to see photos of it, check out uh, David's Instagram, Boundless Pursuit. Um, he's got. Do you have the photo of the bait and stuff up there too? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty. Uh... And, and the aftermath of the hook. Um, I mean, ideally, if I'm you know gonna be lure fishing, I'm like everybody else. I don't like blind casting for the fish. Yeah. Um, and even in scenarios, and you probably observe this up in Virginia. There's times where, and people will say, if you just, you know, there's, they're voracious, they're opportunistic mm-hmm. a, at times. I've also seen them to where you can be right 
on top of the fish mm-hmm. and bounce a lure and quite frankly bounce a bait off their forehead. Yep. And I don't I now I've always been curious what what the difference maker is. What what the one thing I'll say is if you find them sitting inanimate mm-hmm. and you put a lure in front of their face and that dorsal fin stays idle, they're not eating. Yeah. If you can't get that thing to flutter, like as soon as like I feel like that's like the precursor to a bite. It's like a mood you ring. A, yes. If you see a bowfin and you're moving a lure, if that if that dorsal moves, mm-hmm. the bite's coming. But yeah. if it doesn't, yeah. Well, no. So it's that's a perfect segue because we have a, a bunch of listener questions here that um we we posted the photo of your fish on the Have Rods HRWT Studios page. Asked for questions for this podcast, and uh, the first question we have from Dean Bishop from the Bowfin Underground Facebook page is key factors for triggering a bite would be cool. So what, what, you know, scent, color, sound, what, what are you looking for if you're trying to get a bowfin to eat or do you have anything? Well, the, the, I don't have, I feel like, again, it's one of those things I don't like making sound complicated. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more like the, the game of bowfin fishing is more, is more finding them. Right. And being and being uh, proficient at locating them than it is drawing the bite. Right. Now, the thing with them is it's a, I think it's a debatable thing, but the general consensus is that they have poor vision. Mm-hmm. They definitely don't seem like they use vision a lot because their strike radius. The thing people need to understand is the strike radius is small. They won't normally move more than their own body length to go after something. It's like okay. if it's within range. Yes. But they are very like curious fish. Right. And very investigative fish. And if they hear a noise or they sense a vibration or especially if they smell, mm-hmm. they'll go and they'll search for it. But it's a slow search pattern. So if you're throwing, let's say, lures, I think speed is very important. Mm-hmm. I and, and again, this isn't this isn't uh, I'm not speaking in absolutes here. I'm speaking right. in more often than not. Right. I don't personally like lures that require a an unbroken retrieve, mm-hmm. like a retrieve that's steady mm-hmm. because a lot of times you, you could be bringing that right past their face yeah. and they notice it. But, but by the time they notice it, they don't want to, you know, they're not going to pursue. They're not a, mm-hmm. a fish that's really bombing after things. They will do it. Right. But not more often than not. No. Uh, I like lures that have a lot of like that make a lot of noise mm-hmm. vibration mm-hmm. Um, flash. So bladed yeah. lures, like a like a spinner bait, even though that is a lure that you'll that you'll move more steady, you yeah. can slow roll them. They do well through timber. They do well through snags. Spinner baits are really really good bowfin baits because yeah. of the flash that they produce. Right. Um, I it's funny. Okay, before we started recording, you mentioned that if we could find a point of contention for the podcast to where we have some discourse back and forth, people might find it more interesting. And this is my point of contention. I feel my experience with Bowfin is kind of the opposite of that. I've had Bowfin come from 25 feet away to crush a bait. I, I think (laughs) the louder it is, the more obnoxious it is. It is. It just pisses that fish off and it wants to kill it. I don't, my experience with them is complete, which you have the 13 and a half pounders. So you got the experience on me, but <laughs> my experience with the fish is if you can make them feel like they're uh, have, make them feel like they have the upper hand, then you're in good shape. So I like throwing buzz baits. I like that continuous 
you know, they can hear it coming and it's getting closer to them and they go, what the hell is that in my environment? And they want to, they just want to crush it. They, they swim at it like a U-boat torpedo and they try to crush and kill whatever it is. I think the, when you get a bofin that doesn't want to eat, it's when it knows that it doesn't have the upper hand anymore. So like you were explaining, bouncing a bait on its head. I literally, one of these creeks that I was, I was fishing for him. The fish is under me. I can see it. And I'm bouncing a fluke on its head and it wants nothing to do with it because it knows, you know, the jig is up. It knows I'm there. It doesn't want anything right. to do with it. So I don't know. I just thought that was funny. You mentioned. I, I have having... said this to people that uh, of all the states that I've fished for, Virginia is the only place where I've observed what you're describing. Yeah. Because when I came up there and was fishing for snakeheads with you that mm-hmm. first year, I, I even remember the moment where I was like, I have never seen a bowfin do that. That thing came from 10, 15 feet away. Yeah. Only time I've seen it. Now, I will say this. Uh, if you try to do that in four feet or more of water, mm. you're not. it's not going to happen. Right. In one feet of water, maybe, because I don't know if it's, it's they're reacting to the vibration and the sound, and I mm-hmm. think that they can de- detect it across that lower mm-hmm. spectrum of water a little bit easier. But even one that passes over their head, Mm-hmm. When you get to four plus feet of water and some of those kind of pads, we have them in, on the Caloosahatchee River. Mm-hmm. We'll have pads that are sitting in five feet of water. They just don't seem like they want to travel up that high to get something. Yeah, that makes on a, sense. On a, if it's passing by quickly, if it's passing by in a foot of water above their head, sure, because they're not traveling far, you know, that, that short range speed they can yeah. utilize. But I feel like a popping frog might draw even mm-hmm. better numbers. Because you can pop, stop, pop, stop. And one thing, actually, you know, and I, I don't want to go off the topic of artificials here, but they're very investigative of noises and sounds and like just it, it, things happening on top of the water. Right. I really want to try this. I've never tried it, but it's something I'm like very interested in trying with bait is to use a popping cork like what you do in yeah. salt water. Yeah. I, I am convinced that I could utilize a popping cork in the same way with bait fishing. Pop, 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 sit, wait a few minutes, pop, pop, pop. But um, but yeah, I, I think noise and vibration is one mm-hmm. of the key elements, just to answer the person's question. Scent is a big one. You may not get that as much out mm-hmm. of out of artificials. I mean, you can put artificial scent on there. You get salted baits. You get things like that. I think they like a, a salty bait, sure. Um, it'll help in the event that they come up and they nose down, yeah. start looking at. They're very investigative, and sometimes when they get to that point where they're they're, you've probably seen this when you're even sight fishing for them, where their nose is on it, they're following yeah. it, they're looking at it. They just but, need something to trigger them to. Yeah, eat. yeah. They're they're just suspicious enough, and it might be the unnatural smell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. I think Grant has that happen a lot on the fly rod. He you'll be working it, working it, and that fish follows, and it's it's on, and it's. It's watching, but it just needs that little bit of something. Yeah. And, you know, the fly dudes never use scent. So that fish could be there like, why doesn't this smell like food? It looks like food. Why doesn't it smell like food? And that could be the thing that keeps them from eating. You know, it takes, I think, like all species, it takes a little bit of everything. You need a little scent. You need a little movement, vibration. You got to, you got to make them feel both inner predators, right? So, they need to feel like they're being predatory. They they need to feel like they have the upper hand on something. So if they feel like something isn't right or your boat's hovering right over top of them or you've made a lot of noise, you know, if they don't feel like they're a lion or in, in the Sahara and they're, they're stalking a gazelle, if they don't feel like 
they're on the ambush, I don't think you're going to have as much success getting them to hit. Just right. I think all good points. Yeah. Well, and another funny observation I've had just sight fishing for them is a lot of times if if you get the one that's curious but it doesn't want to commit to the bite, downsizing for whatever reason to a smaller lure, even with bigger fish, I don't know <laughs> why, it seems like they'll be happier to take a smaller thing if it gets it's like i don't know if they get intimidated by something this i don't know what they have to be scared of mm-hmm. but for whatever reason i've noticed throwing bigger lures at them sometimes if you just go down a little bit bigger mm-hmm. you'll 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 draw the bite but um and then as far as like color i don't know i i don't know necessarily know that i've observed them to be super crazy about i know that bass can get that way where it's like one color change will be the difference mm-hmm. maker i haven't seen that too much out of both and it's like because of the idea that maybe their vision is poor yeah in in environments where the water's murkier i'll use brighter i use whites a lot i use a yeah. white and like chocolate conditions and then i just mm-hmm. use black or dark colors when the water is clear yeah uh, but i never get much more fancy than that i wish i could say oh if you use uh yeah, Christmas cider and this. And I, yeah, I don't even yeah. know my fishing colors at <laughs> yeah. that point, but I don't think they're there. They're not. I don't think they're that crazy about the colors. Yeah, I don't think so either. My, I I replace your white with with like bubble gum. I like pink mm, for yeah. some reason. I, I've had success with pink, but I think black with blue flake, green pumpkin, and then like some off color, like a white, something brighter. Chartreuse. Chartreuse is always good. I mean, you can't go wrong with that, but. I think th- those are all solid points. Well, um, let's jump to the next one. Uh, what temperature do bowfin spawn? This is from Garrett Skolnick. He said, what temperature do they spawn and what temperature are they most active in? And uh, uh, Bobby Stair also kind of asked the same sort of question, like what, what are their seasonal patterns? So just mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, take us from January 1 through December on the bowfin. What what are they doing winter, spring, summer, fall? When are they spawning? Sort of give us a bowfin's sure. year. They, the thing with bowfin is they'll live their entire life in kind of a pretty close geography. They're very much like Homer fish. Mm-hmm. They don't move all the way across the lake. They'll kind of pick one little area, one little feature and stay most of the entire cycle in that one area. Mm -hmm. So, again, especially with regards to the bigger fish, I've noticed this, especially with like the larger females, they want to be right on the edge of that deeper water. Mm -hmm. So they're not moving that far. It's like any other fish, though, in the wintertime, they'll be a little bit deeper water. Mm -hmm. So winter to early spring is when they start moving up into shallow waters but uh there's to to answer the question about when they spawn they spawn between like 60 and 65 during that middle zone low Mm -hmm. to mid 60s is when they start getting ready to spawn that's when you're going to start getting more opportunities just from an angling standpoint to find the males and the females and those shallow water areas to for sight fishing opportunities Mm -hmm. um i think it even like as the summer progresses you'll still find a lot more of the smaller i feel like you just find the smaller fish up on those shallow flats more often than not Mm -hmm. the females will be on that but they'll be on the area that's closer to the deeper water they just like Mm -hmm. to be right on the margins and the edges of that so winter time i'll look for deeper deeper holes right on the edge like right on the edge of a a Mm -hmm. grass line right on the edge of a grass flat whether that's a natural um like submerged creek channel whether that is a dredged out area just to give a, an idea of uh, an example of this real time where I've done it 
during different seasons. Mm-hmm. I talked about Lake Moultrie earlier. <clears throat> lake Moultrie is a for the most part that lake is a massive expansion of stumpy flats. The majority mm-hmm. of the lake is no more than 5 feet deep. And it's a lot of stumps, a lot of stumps. So right. for the safety of boaters and anglers, there's a lot of man-made dredged out navigable channels. Mm-hmm. There's an area in Lake Moultrie and this is a spot burn for anybody that lives in South Carolina. This is I'm going to tell you where to go. There's an area of Lake Moultrie they call the hatchery. The hatchery is a really popular bass fishing area. It's a, it's it's a it's got all the dynamics of the grass, little grass margins, islands, pad fields, mm-hmm. cypress trees, cypress knees, a lot of timber. It's but it's dangerous to go across this place because it's in a massive expansion of flats. Now you can go stumps a, a mile across these stumpy flats and, yeah. and get into a little pad field and you'll find fish, but you won't find the big ones. But on the margins of this um area the 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 hatchery area Mm -hmm. uh there's like a dike like a rocky dike and along the edges of that they bore out a nav like a navigable channel that's 15 feet deep and and that that's what what the boaters use to move you know move along that so as you move along this deep channel there's these little openings on on the lake side that open up through little you know islands i guess when they were boring this out you got to think they had to go somewhere with that dirt they built little chain islands out of it. Between each island, there's a, a little gaps. A lot of the bass anglers will pull through those gaps, and it immediately goes from 15, 20 feet deep, immediately up to two to three feet deep. Right. And a lot of that's, I mean, that's where you get through. So I would fish um, right for the bigger fish, right where those openings were. This is a good ambush point. Um, this is a spot that offers the larger fish the opportunity to retreat down into deeper water, right. come up on the flat, you know, regulate their temperature without having to cover much ground. Um, in the wintertime, again, they might move 50 yards at right. the most, 25 yards to get in that deeper water. They're right off the edge, mm-hmm. like right off the edge of these things. And they're just sitting along a, a shelf sitting in that deep water, you know, and I found this out by bait fishing for them. And then in the spring, 25 yards away, they're right up on those flats. They don't right. have to cover any ground. They don't have to travel a great distance. They're staying near grass at all times. They're not mm-hmm. having to swim across open water. They're just coming up an abrupt drop off and getting out onto that flat. And so in springtime, I'm like right there in those flats. Um, in summer times, I don't know, it's kind of the same thing. I feel like the larger females will just hang right there near that deep water and the males. I don't know. It's like the smaller fish, they'll open up and be out on those flats in the middle of the summer. Again, that rule, that is, that is just a general rule of what might give you better chances, but Mm -hmm. I'm not speaking in absolutes here. I found 31 inch fish that were nowhere near deep water at times, but it was just, it was more like on the occasion. I was, Mm -hmm. it was more like those 25 inch, 26 inch little, Mm -hmm. little, males chilling out but the big females they really like being on the edge of that deep water so yeah winter spring and summer they're all kind of in proximity to those holes i think i have a i have a thought that i'm gonna try to workshop real time here i think the fish that live longer are also fish that get bigger and i think over time they realize they have safety in that deeper water so that's why those older fish, you always find them in the deeper water. They've lived long enough to know there's less predatory birds that are going to take them out. They're not, you know, there's, 
they have that safety in deep water. So you're going to find more of those bigger fish in deep water because they've experienced more life than say a fish that's only two, three years old. And on top of that, those bigger fish, that deep water's prime for their safety. So they're also going to be forcing out those smaller fish that they can bully. You know, the, the, every yeah. the big, big deep water is the home of big fish and everybody else just kind of has to deal with it. They get to yeah. live up on the flat where they are prone to predation by yeah. birds and other and, stuff. And, and I want to make sure that this observation doesn't sound strictly anecdotal. Like, uh, oh, well, that's, that works in South Carolina, but I live in this place. Okay, well, I'm, you know, in, in, in Lake Moultrie, that's what I did. And another spot burn here mm-hmm. for anybody living south. I don't live there anymore, so you can take my old spots. Right. There's a, there's a spot south of Lake Moultrie called the Goose Creek Reservoir in Goose Creek, Creek South Carolina, which is notorious. A lot of both in there, but it's also mm-hmm. the same sort of setup. A lot of shallow water, very few deeper spots, but it's right. the same thing, too, where they bore out distinct channels. I don't right. know. I think it was just a canal that they dammed up. Mm-hmm. So there's a historical you know, riverbed that they since flooded. So it's, you know, right. the margins are flats and then there's one, but uh, the Goose Creek Reservoir, there's like a North Reservoir and then there's a main South Reservoir and then there's a little narrow channel that connects the two. That's mm-hmm. really deep. It's a really deep channel uh, every winter. I mean, it was like my go-to spot, middle of January, 40 degree temperatures, 30 degree temperatures. I'd be in jackets and beanies. Yeah. You know, and, and the guys further up North and like, you know, you're, you're Wisconsin's and you're, whatever that are mm-hmm. ice fishing for them you know they're probably laughing well anyway uh that's cold for me 40 it's degrees relative it's relative. but they would be again they, they, these things would pile into this narrow very narrow channel that was 15 20 feet deep maybe right on the edge because yeah. the edge was like a very abrupt drop off like you would think it was shallow water because it was you know it was like uh cattails right. along the margins there was like a very distinct drop off though I mean, every winter I'd go out there, I'd anchor my boat directly in the center and I would just line the shoreline. It's still like 10 feet of water, mm-hmm. five feet off the bank. And I just line it with baits and we just nail in bowfin because they pile in there. Summertime, that wasn't working. It wasn't yeah. happening. Springtime, they're up looking for spawning grounds. But mm-hmm. wintertime, that's what you do. And and I do the same thing here in Florida and Arkansas. I did that. Uh, but and, and, so- and a good observation too by you, just real quick. It is funny that you mentioned that the bigger fish seem a little bit less willing to share space mm-hmm. than the smaller ones are. I've been in areas where you find the little males, you know, almost together. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like I, when I go, especially as of late, when I've gone both in fishing, I'm having these one giant fish days. Mm-hmm. I'll commit to one spot where I know big fish <laughs> might be. I'll get one, maybe two big monster females out of there. That's it. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I feel like the big, big females don't, I don't know. I feel like they don't like to share space the same as like the little, the little fish, the little males, even the little females yeah. seem a little bit more willing to share that space. I, yeah. I feel like it's because they don't have a choice. They have to share it. They're getting bullied. But, um, okay. So with that being said, would you say that, I mean, you said they don't move very far. Do you think that that 13 and a half pounder that you just caught or that other one you just mentioned, do you think that, they're in that hole all the time. Like, cause our buddy Andy up here, Andy Bagwell, he says back in one of these creeks, he saw a bowfin that could test the new state record. And it's always been in the back of my mind hmm. that I need to go look for it. Do you think that fish like that's its area? Or do you think they travel like 
great distances or what is what is I, I your feel, take on that? I feel like that fish will probably at any point during whatever season be within a hundred yards of that spot. Okay. I, I think you. they can retreat into this hole and come out of this hole whenever they want. Right. But it's just not a fish that I think is moving a lot of grounds. They're picking an area that has all the different elements that they like. Mm-hmm. And then they're cool with that. But they're migratory and things like that. Yeah. You know, no, they're 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 I think they're big, they're big homers. Yeah. It's kind of like a big buck that like it has its territory and it runs in its territory, and then another buck might run in this territory over here, but they're not there's not a lot of overlap, maybe. Yeah. But um okay, well. Michael Stroud from that same page had a couple questions that we already answered. I think where to find during winter deep water and then, um, deep water immediately close to shallow water. Right. (laughs) And then, uh, it says when I first set out actually fishing for bowfin, most things you read say they like the nastiest shallows they can find. I, I have, Found. this is not true at all and i've touched on it all oh, sorry it's you're looking for that piece of water that's dynamic you want shallow water with cover right next to deep water with safety i think that pretty mm-hmm. much is the idea i think we've sort of touched that pretty thoroughly um at this point you you want well, the area where they can ambush I'll, and then go what- rest I'll expand a little on where I think they're getting at because people say nasty water. Mm-hmm. So like a bowfin, like that's another misconception. They will, they don't want dirty, disgusting water. Mm-hmm. Even a swamp is clean water. The yep. blackest water that you get, if you dip a glass into it and, and lift it up, it's crystal clear. The swamp is the the cleanest water you can probably get. It's, yes. it's getting filtered the most. It just has a lot of now, tannins in it that changes the color. of. I disagree with the notion that they that they prefer those kind of environments. So mm-hmm. I think where, where I'm going with this and hopefully if it's not, I'm answering some other people's questions. Okay. I don't think it's so much that they prefer that oxygen depleted water as mm-hmm. it is that they just, they have a much bigger competitive advantage there yeah. than other fish. So if they occupy an area like that, or they find themselves in an area like that, that doesn't have that an Avenue for escape. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if it does have an avenue of escape, they just have a competitive and tactical advantage <laughs> yeah. over something like a largemouth bass. So like they're not going to be competing for resources. So they have more of an opportunity to proliferate in that right. environment unchallenged. Sure. But I, I don't believe that they would act that they would choose that over another area. I'm yeah. not sure. I think that's an area where you'll find, if you can find that on a map, a swamp, like an oxbow lake, a, a, something that's cut off from an oxygen source that's gone almost borderline eutrophic and it's got like high density vegetation, no flow, no oxygen. Mm-hmm. You will find a lot of uncontested fish there. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find the big ones. You're not going to find the quality right. of fish, especially if that area is always like that. You're going to get a genetic strain that's weaker. You're mm-hmm. going to get small fish that are able to reach sexual maturity unchallenged. Uh, and 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 they're reproducing easier, mm-hmm. so they're passing weaker genetics. But I will find them in like here in in Florida. We have a lot of natural springs. This right. is the highest, most oxygenated, coldest water, crystal clear water. They are loaded with bowfin. All yeah. of the springs, the bowfin love the springs. They love that environment. So it's not that they want that. It's just that if they're thrust into that, they're they're going to 
outcompete everything else. I mean, right. they're just going to have a much bigger advantage over other fish there. So it's not necessarily not necessarily that there's more both in there. There's just less of everything else. So yeah, well, there, there's even more of them. I like I said, it's just like they're they're existing unchallenged. They're not right. they're not getting picked uh, off by yep. other things. They're not competing for resources. So I will always urge people who message me and say I want to catch, you know, my first bowfin. I will normally be like, all right, well, where do you live? And I'll look at their areas, and I will specifically look for that type of environment yeah. first. So if you're if you want to have a day where you can catch twenty, I've caught as many as forty three bowfin in a day. That's that's my personal best. That's ridiculous. Forty three, none of them are big. Yeah, all of them are small because I was in that type of place. Mm -hmm. That's cool and all, but if it gets to a point where you want bigger fish, it's like anything else. It's like with largemouth bass. It's like with anywhere else. You need a much more balanced and healthy environment where there's competitors. There's, yeah. There's a greater resources of food. There's different types of food. Uh, you will catch less fish, but you'll get the big ones. Yeah, that competition weeds out the the weaker of the species. That goes for anything, not just both him. So it's a good point. It's a lot of good um, – a lot of good things to sort of work over in your brain there, but no. yeah, I, I, I co-sign on all that. I think the areas in which there were the, the most competition between species, largemouth, snakehead, you know, gar, stuff like that. That's where we're finding the largest bowfin. You go back in the back of one of these, you know, creeks, Chickahominy, where it's only bowfin or like small grass pickerel and stuff, you're not finding 15 pounders. Yeah. You know, so well, if it, I'll, I'll say this, if I'm going to go blind casting lures for mm -hmm. bowfin, that's the kind of environment that I will go to. And we get a lot of that in the Everglades because yeah. there's so many flood control measures in the Everglades. There's pump stations, there's pump houses, there's like diversion. There's little lakes that are literally just by design. Like they're just there to, to hold water. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of these grassy, shallow, low oxygenated bodies of water and the bowfin can proliferate in them. And, uh, you know, and they're, they're more likely to be in there and you're not going to get the bycatch of like, if you're slinging lures, you're not dealing with bass. You're not dealing with whatever else might grab yeah. the lures. You but got a better chance of coming across a, a bowfin, but right. And that's why normally when I fish these bigger rivers and stuff, I'm not lure fit. I didn't like doing what I did. I just, I got lucky with that one the other day because that was a healthy area. It was right off of the main mm -hmm. river. Um, but then anyway, yeah, to, to answer that question though, they don't, they don't, um, I don't think it's that they prefer that you're just, you're more likely to get right. more fish in those environments just by way of natural selection and, and the environment. If a bass has a choice to sit there in low oxygenated water with limited types of food sources mm -hmm. and, and then there's a channel out of there, they're, You'll still get them in there, but they're they're more they're really gonna move out of there if they have to. Right, I hear you. All right, well, I have one more question uh, from our buddy Steve Carroll, um, and that that'll be the end of our question segment. So, if you want to participate in future podcasts, look for these posts on the HRWT Studios Facebook page and comment, and give us stuff to talk about. But Steve writes in. How do bowfin fight compared to, say, a smallmouth bass? Um, do they jump like a trout or roll up your line like a catfish? So just we don't have to get super complicated with it. Mm -hmm. Just uh, give you, give you the know, the you vibe. Know, you could you could probably expand on this better than me. I've caught the funny thing is I haven't caught a lot of smallmouth, but I've caught them in a, several different areas. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, what was that? I caught them in the Lower Mountain Fork in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I've caught them in the Buffalo River in northwest arkansas and i've caught them in like the neosho river in missouri 
But it's it's just I think it's apples to oranges. It's just right. two different kinds of fish. One's a river, like primarily a river dwelling fish. I mean, I think when you talk maybe stamina, certainly like athleticism and like like power and 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 like sustained mm-hmm. pools of drag, probably probably uh that probably favors the smallmouth bass because I mean you think about a fish that's living its life in in uh current. I mean, it's like they're at the gym 24 hours a yeah. day. It's a, They're like athletes, whereas a bowfin is like a cage fighter. Yeah. That's, 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 it's it's trying to use the elements against you. They're trying to get you into the weeds, get you into the snags, twist, turn, shake, move, maneuver. So I think I would say this of the smallmouth I've caught, because this is a big debate. People say smallmouth are the hardest fighters. It depends on what your idea of hard fighting is. Yeah. I think a bowfin is a much more dynamic fighter mm-hmm. and that I think that they bring more like methods to the table yeah but if you tied a smallmouth and a bowfin tail to tail of equal size a bowfin is probably going to shake the smallmouth like crazy but i think maybe sustained power might favor the smallmouth I don't, i'm more interested in your thoughts on that you've caught big ones you've caught them in lakes rivers yeah yeah so i have a couple different we'll sort of encompass all of this i said this on that podcast we're on bowfin a lot lately for some reason i was filming with grant the other day and we had this type of conversation (laughs) i use this analogy the fight of a bowfin and trying to land a bowfin is like trying to get an angry wet house cat in a garbage bag there it's just (laughs) violence it's all over the you're not going to have a bowfin like take all your lines He's not going to peel peel. You can't because of the environment you're fishing for them in. Right. It's so close quartered. It's a right. lot of times I catch even the biggest ones in 30 seconds. It's right. over. Right. But you're not that fish isn't going to spool you. But what it might do is break all your shit. Might break your rod. Might break, oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're violent and they're violent in a confined area. So like you're real and you set the hook on a bowfin. He's immediately shaking and throw. I mean, he. I've had bowfins, unfortunately, break their own jaw from their simple, like, mm-hmm. thrashing and going crazy. So the fight is really, it's not like a smallmouth where it's diving down and do, doing the, trying to get down to the bottom or, or tail walking. Or, and it's not, I'd say they're probably closer to a catfish as far as the rolling goes. Because blue cats, when we catch them here, they like to roll up your line and get everything slammed yeah. up. They're probably closer to that, but they're much more violent. A bowfin is just, it's like hooking the Tasmanian devil. Everything's fine. You set into him and then he just explodes. And its he's expelling every ounce of energy he has in like a five-foot radius. He's trying to get away, rolling, going crazy, jumping. I mean, it's it's literally like trying to get an angry cat into a cat carrier. You know, the thing's pissed off and it's letting you know it. And then even when yeah. you get it into the boat, it's the same way. Everything's cool. But then you have that bony tail breaking everything in the boat, yeah, yeah. all your gear. I mean, they're, they're just a, a summarization of both fin in one word. is just violence. It's just that's what it is. They're, they're violent and they don't like anything to do with trying to be caught so yeah yeah so i, don't, I guess it's people's idea of what is a hard fight it's uh you know if i got into like let's say a human fight with a guy that was had one overwhelmingly powerful mm-hmm. fist i had to worry about mm-hmm. i i would almost favor going against a guy with a horrific 
not like a blow that if it hits me, I'm dead. Yeah. And somebody that's throwing knees, kicks, elbows, yeah. takedowns, head yeah. bunts, hitting me with every angle. That's a more delicate fight. Yeah. It's a more dangerous fight, but I don't know what's, I don't know. It's like, it's just different. It's way different. It's, like it's somebody's yeah. Brock Lesnar somebody versus Conor McGregor. Yeah. Like, you, you know, somebody asked, do they jump? I've absolutely had both in mm-hmm. jump and tail walk. The, the, the thing is like, there's a, such a high risk of losing them because their mouth is not like a, they do roll like a catfish, but a catfish's mouth is so like fat and thick. The hook Flesh. is not, you know, yeah. the hook's not, when the hook's in there, they're pinned. Yeah. Both has such a hard mouth mm-hmm. that when they start throwing the twist, turn shakes and like, they don't just roll. Like you've seen them. It is like what they call death roll. Like, it is yeah, blinding just... <laughs> speed yeah. that they do yeah. that. And it's so like the hook has so many opportunities to just come out. So it's, it's just different, man. I don't know. It's, I I can't compare the two. I think they're both are really hard fighting, awesome fish. Yeah. But it's just two it's just two different styles. And one of them's pure chaos, the other one's more Yeah. You know, you're fighting you're not you're never going to be fighting a both in an open water. You're you're fighting them hard to get them away from mm-hmm. the weed line, mm-hmm. the limbs, the this and that. So it's like by default, you don't you hardly even get to enjoy the fight because if you're sitting there trying to like hear drag running and stuff like yeah. that, you're you're just kind of it's like noth- asking. Yeah, it's nothing yeah. like that. It's just immediate 10 out of 10, like throwing Ooh. down and then it's over with. That's pretty yeah. much what it is. But it's a lot of good points. It's it's hard to I mean, you can compare some, apples to apples on some things, but just both and are just their own angry little animal. That yeah. you know, they 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 like being the predator. So when you get them in a, a situation where they're down, they're using every yeah. ounce of energy to get out of that. I, I think so. if you have those debates over which fights harder, like the battleground has, like you got to be on fighting on on even ground. You know what I mean? Like if you yeah. took a smallmouth bass and a and a trout, or like two river dwelling fish, mm-hmm. or you took a a northern snakehead and a bowfin that you might catch in two subsequent casts, you really get that measuring point. But yeah. That's like saying, does a, a, you know, blue marlin fight harder than a, I don't know, some inshore species. It's just, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just different. Yeah, but um, cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the bowfin stuff. Do you have anything you want to sort of bookend that section of stuff with? I mean, we not really. I mean, the bowfin thing is one of those things that I mean, we could get more in like the technical game of mm-hmm. of, of finding them and things like that. But, uh, you know, those questions are all all good questions. It's I just like like to see more people like actively like engaged and wanting to learn yeah. more about these fish nowadays. It's like so awesome. Like the culture of that fishing group specifically for bowfin is like growing and growing and growing. Yeah. But it's also a dangerous thing because because like the interest is real high right now, but the field is small as far mm-hmm. as people that are doing it. Mm-hmm. It's real easy for you to walk in there in this open area and like stake your flag and say, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know the most. Yeah. Um. So it's, it's sure. still hard for people to find the good information, but we're, we're getting to a point with like, I know a lot of fly anglers are like getting more into that, like exotic scene with, our native species. So you have more guys gar fishing and you have more guys bowfin fishing, stuff like that with the fly rod. I think that's transferring into, you know, the, the scape overall. Plus you have social media and 
they look cool. So, I mean, th- th- these are the type of scenarios where social media help versus hurt. Yeah, normally, yeah. We, normally we're talking about how social media is hurting fishing and hurting fishing spots and all this stuff. Getting eyes on the species and it helps educate. It helps people care more. Like just recently, I think the start of the year, Virginia has put in new bow fishing laws for uh, gar and bowfin for our, our native species. Yeah. So now I don't know the exact like language for it, but I, it, instead of it being X amount per day, it's X amount per day. So it's way less that you're allowed to kill per day, which is great. Cause you know, up here, bowfin are competing with snakehead and blue cat, and every, I mean they're getting on slings and arrows from every corner of of the arena. So it's good that bowfin are they're getting that protection legally from state agencies, and they're getting popularized by your fly guys, by your social media influencers, by all. So it's it's getting to the point where they're getting yeah. on par with some of these more common game fish species. I mean, you're not most of the time you're not eating largemouth bass and that's what kind of makes it a game fish. So it's getting more up in there with the sport fish stuff. People are spending more money and they want to release them so they can catch them again. And it, you know, it's kind of happening across the board with a lot of these native species, I think. Yeah. So. Well, it's funny, but just, you know, I don't know that whole idea of classifying things by game fish, non game fish is funny to me. If you look at yeah. the definition of game fish, it says nothing about, like in order to meet this criteria, there's got to be a, a a quality of of what what it is on on a table. Yeah, gameness. Even like in dog fighting, a dog is considered game based on its drive to fight, on right. its drive to compete. That that's called that dog's got a lot of game. It's it's got gameness. So it's like it has nothing to do with what the fish looks like or what it how it how palatable it is. Yeah. So I mean, you're talking you about go- actual dog fighting. Like yes, do- oh my god, dog fighting like it's got dog dark fight- so quickly when that that's what yeah well that's the thing when I think because they say a dog is very game a dog is a game it's a game bred animal oh I see what you're or saying game okay. cocks like cock fighting yeah okay, game, okay anyway okay. I'm understanding that, that's now. what that's what gameness is when it comes to like fighting animals so right. a game fish is a fish that's you know, something you can compete against and wants to fight. At least that's my idea of it. Yeah. Um, so if you go on that criteria, the funny thing is, and I say this every time, anytime I talk about bowfin, it doesn't matter what part of the country you're in, who you talk mm-hmm. to, the people that hate them the most, everybody <laughs> will agree that, yes, they do fight hard. Or there's yeah. always that but fill in the blank. Yeah. I hate them. They stink. They take over. They're invasive. Like a lot of myths, a lot of mm-hmm. wrong things, but they do fight hard. Seems to be a common denominator that people like that's irrefutable. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's encountered one has has no like there's there's nothing else that you can do but slump back in your chair or whatever and admit, like, yeah. OK, you know, I get it now. Like, And I feel like that's the impression that everybody that's come across one of these, especially now, like to your point, the social media thing. You know, you you don't have prior to that. It was like everybody got their information from the grandpa. Yeah. So there's a lot more like grandfathered in beliefs about everything. Mm-hmm. But now it's like uh, I don't know. You you can quickly dispel old myths like that. And yeah, man, anybody that comes across and's like, holy crap, I get it. Yeah, and I think too, like you're running fishing has exploded in the past couple of years just online. So more people are looking for their little niche thing that they can get into that other people aren't getting into so you know yeah. <laughs> more of these like 
kind of random species in the grand scheme of things are going to get more play eventually, but I don't know. It's good stuff, dude. I mean, anytime you can, you can promote something that, I mean, that fish is older than the human race on this continent for sure. So it's, it's, you know, anytime you can be a champion for that species and see that they have longevity is, it's good. So, but uh, I think what we'll do finishing out the podcast, since we talked about our topic for the day, we'll, we'll kind of give a little background on ourselves and then we can kind of end it there, but that'll sort of give people an idea who we are, just in case this is the first thing they're ever hearing from either one of us, they found us randomly on Spotify or whatever. Um, just tell us, you, you already went through the, the moving and stuff. Just kind of give us the overall of who David Graham is. What's your, like, what's your fishing like? What's your life like? Where are you at? You know, just give us kind of, give us the synapse of like who you are. Oh man. I don't know how to make this sound, you know, super exciting. I mean, I, I think I'm like everybody else is probably listening. I'm a guy that's eager to learn, but I'm also a guy that's eager to like share what I know. Right. And I think, you don't, you know, it's better if we're in that frame of mind where we're mm -hmm. wanting to share. And like, you know, I got real excited about social media when it first came along as an opportunity to like share the things I was interested in. But, you know, you're getting now into this world where something like an Instagram is people's personal highlight reels and everybody's willing to I don't know, like everybody's willing to put things out there to receive attention, mm -hmm. but not as much willing to like to like. Give information. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, that's really where I'm at now. You know, I've, I've enjoyed fishing for kinds of fish that most people haven't in the past mm -hmm. uh, gone after. And, I, you know, I did it during a time, you know, my interest in a lot of these fish came when there was very limited resources to find information about them. Right. And I, re I recall the days of just trial and erroring everything. Right. And so now I was like, well, you know, that's cool. I, I think I feel like if there's anything that I know that somebody else might not know, like it's it's our responsibility of stewards of the sport to, to continue that progression, to like share information, share what we're passionate about, help other people. When mm -hmm. somebody opens that door and says, hey, you know, how'd you do that? Or, you know, they might say, where'd you catch it at? Mm -hmm. It's easy to want to like keep that information to ourselves. Yeah. And, and be like, oh, you're, you're trying to take what I know. That's not what this is supposed to be about for the sake of a fish like a bowfin, for example, mm -hmm. or fill in the blank with fish that need that kind of positive uh, attention. Like when somebody lends you their ear and like is waiting for you to give them the information and you have that, you need to you need to give it to them. So I think for me, I know that now you and I teaming up has been awesome because mm -hmm. you've got a lot of strengths and areas that I'm weak with the videography, the visual, um, you know, the conceptualizing things, sharpening an idea and making an idea become an actual product. Um, it's, it's like, we're getting to a point now where text and like filling something out in a forum or writing a blog mm -hmm. is time is getting past that. Mm -hmm. People want to hear their information. They want to see their information. So it's, uh, you know, I think we're getting to a point now where I'm eager to continue to share the information of, and share what I'm passionate about and help other people do it. But I now know that using a format like this with the spoken word yeah, um, is going to become more and more invaluable videos, things like that. Um, and I'm going to continue to write about it, but man, I just like every time I, there's nothing that makes me feel better than when somebody reaches out to me on the side and asks about something like a bow fin. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, you know, somebody might say, Hey, I'm going to be in South Carolina. 
uh, next month. I saw that you've caught some fish there. I will send them sometimes to exact locations and tell them, here's how you do it. Yeah. Follow this pattern. It's going to work for you. And then like, you know, months later, they follow back up and send me pictures of them holding one. Like that makes me feel good. Like that's somebody like that. You have planted the seed in their head. They're going to take that ball and run with it. And they're going to create, you know, they're going to continue to spread those. Yeah. I guess I'm saying seeds, but like you're going to continue to put that interest out there. And that's what we need to be doing. You're ensuring the sport survives another generation and, and more people are getting enthused about the thing. Yeah. And stomping out the trash fish dumpster fire that has spread yeah uh, so i think that, that's a good point man i mean we've started four podcasts now the website the facebook page all the stuff to try to encapsulate that idea of promoting fisheries promoting the conservation of species promoting fishing in general and you know we just happen to be a couple of guys that have invested a lot of time money and effort into it and i mean You've caught a bunch of giant fish, everything from alligator guard to Goliath grouper to these bowfin. And I'm sure eventually like the sky's the limit with everything that we're doing. So, you know, by, by promoting these things, we're not saying that we're the trusted resource in it. I mean, I know you have probably 25 years experience ish in, in the fishing world, something like that. I probably have, 20 myself i mean we got records between us we we've got plenty of catches i mean we we we've done the things to to put weight behind who we are as anglers and give you reasons to listen and trust in what we say so Mm. and i think we're both pretty solid people persons and we like talking to people and helping others out so that's just kind of what this is this is going to be a podcast us getting on here talking about fishing answering your questions and the same with the haverodswilltravel.com website articles videos podcasts plenty of information on there for you um check out our other podcasts uh david does one titled boundless pursuit where he interviews uh unique individuals with oh, yeah. unique stories fun yeah whether it's fishermen or or people just a crazy life story i mean i'm i i've looked i've heard some of it so far and i'm looking forward to hearing the rest right <laughs> it's, it's good stuff and then um i do this podcast with you i have uh a podcast i do myself titled species specific where we kind of do what we just did here we talk we pick an individual species and we talk about how to catch a trophy in that species, what you got to do to find that upper echelon fish. And then we, uh, the last podcast is the peeling drag podcast that Grant and I started what feels like 10 years ago. And we kind of gave it up and we're back doing it again. It's just, he and I kind of doing something like this, talking about, you know, our fishing and fishing stories and just, uh, kind of our life and fishing in general. So we have a lot of good stuff to offer and we hope you guys tune in and listen to us and we hope you enjoy it. Check out the HRWT Studios Facebook page to find the rest of the podcast and stuff uh, lined up. But yeah, we're, we're just a couple of guys that are really passionate about what we do and uh, put a lot of effort into it. And we hope you have enjoyed this episode and we'll subscribe and give us five stars or whatever you got to do to get us at the top of the, the board so we can keep going. But that's pretty much all I got, David. How about you? 
Yeah, no, and I like uh, I like the I really like the the questions that came from people. That that's always yeah. fun. It's 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 good to feed off of people's genuine interest uh, instead of just getting on here and and throwing information out into the dark to anyone that may be passing by and listening. Mm-hmm. I'll say this though, if somebody asked me, you know, I've caught a few snook and I've caught mm-hmm. a few little tarpon and I've caught a few different kinds of fish, but my if my experience is limited, and I don't know, I'm not yeah. going to pretend yeah. to be. Uh, subject matter expert of anything that I have only a small amount of experience with. But, right. you know, as far as bowfin go, sh- sure. I've yeah. been doing that for a very long time right. in a lot of different states and a lot of different ways. So I, I, I'm very eager, eager to share information. So if there's anything that wasn't answered on here, people want to reach out. Yeah, I can, I can answer via email, via Instagram, via mm-hmm. whatever. I, I, I feel like I've always been the kind of guy that's I normally get back to people quick and give a good detailed answers. But, you know, you start asking me about like the smallmouth thing. I'm very quick to de- defer to you. I've caught some, right? but I just don't have enough personal experience with them to, to give a very detailed, accurate representation of the fish. I hear you. I'm not it's, a salesman. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to get on here and start telling you about bluefin tuna. We don't have enough money. Yeah. Even if we pooled our resources, Steve, and go out and try that. But, Everything else, we got a pretty solid handle on it. So we hope you enjoy uh, listening to us. We hope you enjoy this program. I'm in Virginia. David down, David's down in Florida. It looks like it's starting to get dark on you, so maybe we ought to wrap this thing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm on my porch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, be sure to check us out on the, all the socials and stuff, and I uh, appreciate you guys spending a little time with us. All right. Let's do it again. All right. See you later.